0: Well, today and next Sunday, we are going to wrap up our whole work sermon series. But here's how I want to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up by pressing, pressing you to not be so quick to talk about changing your job until you've wrestled prayerfully and carefully through changing your attitude about that job. Because guess what goes with you to the next job? You. If your attitude's wrong, you're going to take that with you. We always think it's circumstances. It's the company. It's the other people. The biggest factor is often you. So it's worth considering. Wrestle your way through. Have you biblically, prayerfully, carefully done all you could? Again, don't hear me saying right now, there is never a time or place for changing jobs ever. I'm not saying that. But I do believe this. Been a pastor for 31 years now. Been alive for 54. I think people change jobs way too quickly and too often. Including pastors. So I'm not just ripping on you. Pastors. In the three decades that I've pastored two churches. One in South Carolina and one here. I watch other pastors who are are on their 5th and 6th and 7th and yea, verily, 8th church because they simply relocate and start over about every 3 to 5 years. Why? Well, they change jobs for the same reasons you do, my friends. They don't feel appreciated. They get discouraged. They don't think... Blah, 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 blah. And they, they're, they're, they've had it with difficult people that make it so hard to do what they're trying to do. And they think it's going to be easier someplace else, but it's not. Which is why I stay with you. <laughs> I got you, babe. You got me. You're going to have to run me off on a rail. I, I'm not that. I'm like, it's just going to be people when you get there. New zip code, people. So I'm staying. Staying. So to get our heads around this, I want you to turn with me to Titus chapter 2. And oh, I hope you have what with you? Bible. Bible. This is God's word. This will change your life. We're going to look at Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. You follow along as I begin reading Titus 2, verse 9. Exhort servants. Now go ahead and just stick in there. Employees. All right. It was a culture that had lots of servants, lots of slaves. But hey. There's a similar principle here. We work. We're employees. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters. Insert employer, supervisor. To be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Here's what I want to do today from this passage I want to show you four reasons that I believe knowing Jesus should change how you work without ever changing where you work. Number one, here's the first thing. Knowing Jesus means that you work for a new master now. I know that's not a new thought that we're introducing into this series. This is probably the seventh or eighth sermon. So we've got that already from Ephesians 6. But I think it's worth noting whenever you see something repeated in the scripture. So here it is again, this concept in the context of work that Christians should realize you work for a new master. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. Why? Well, because your employer is so worthy of it? Because they compensate you so well? Because they appreciate you so much? Because they recognize you so often for all you do? Uh, No. Look at who the focus is on at the end of verse 10. Look at who the focus is on at the end of verse 10. You see it? God, our, say it, Savior. That's who you work for. God, our Savior. You work for King Jesus as a believer. And don't say, if you're sitting there saying, Brad, I'm not sure King Jesus is anywhere in the building where I work. And I'm not sure King Jesus cares about anything that we're doing in that company or in that place. Yeah? If that's you... And that's how you think. I would tell you what the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper declared about our world. When he said, there's not one square inch of all of creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine. Jesus Christ owns and rules over all things, including wherever it is that you work. Mine, that's his company. So you work for King Jesus. That's his classroom. So you teach for King Jesus. That's his landscape company. You work for King Jesus. That's his medical practice. You work for King Jesus. That's his design or marketing company or engineering firm or financial institution or mortgage institution. Don't be guilty of thinking, Jesus has nothing to do with this. Not true. Jesus right now is saying, this is, say it, mine. 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 So let me ask you. We're we're, we're coming to the end of this series. Never mind, I hope I've stirred you. I hope something was interesting. No, my hope and my prayer is that you would change And that we would engage in a way that would bring glory to God and would see his kingdom furthered. That's not going to happen if we don't actually practically change in real ways. So let me ask you. Would you keep working the same way you've been working at your job? Or would you step it up? if you were to start seeing past your immediate supervisor and past the logo on the side of that building and you went in more conscious of the fact that you, apart from dozens of others who are there, work for King Jesus. And let's get real practical. I want you to think right now. You've heard enough, I hope, seven, eight messages. What are two or three things... That God would have you to do differently about your job. Think about it now. You can even think about it through the afternoon. Because the Bengals are going to get their butts kicked. So you don't need to watch that. (laughs) You've got the afternoon to think about this actually. Think about. If it's not coming to your mind right now. Make a note. And say I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend some time at some point today or this week. To say God what are two or three things. That I could do differently at my job job that would be a reflection of, I have actually started thinking more now. Not the logo on the building, not my immediate supervisor, not do they deserve it, not do I love my coworkers, not do my gifts and talents align so well with this job, but I work for King Jesus. What would change? What would King Jesus ask him? There's prayers that we pray that just go, dink, dink think there's things often that our savior would love for you to ask he stands ready to answer king jesus what would you have me adjust in the way i think about and do my job and even think about others that are around me as i do it what would you tell me i don't think you'll hear silence back you have a new master king jesus secondly knowing jesus means you you have a new assignment You don't just have a new master, you have a new assignment. You realize this? Listen, something, the moment you put your trust in Jesus and became a Christian, a new assignment was added right to the top of your job description. Never mind pulling out whatever that job description is that they've asked you to do. Right at the top, the moment you trusted in Jesus, a new assignment was added to your job description. And you can see it also in verse 10. Look at the second half of verse 10. I've pointed this out to you before as a church family. As we're reading God's word. The second half of verse 10 starts with a Greek henna clause. It's the word henna in the original language. And it is most often translated into English as that. Or so that. Or in order that. And it always signals... I'm gonna tell you the purpose for which I've been pushing this. So Paul has been pushing work differently. Obeying all all things, all things at work, obeying all things. Don't talk back even when I think I'm right and I have a better idea, don't talk back. Don't pilfer, I had to look that up. I thought I knew what it meant, but when I looked it up, you know what it, you know what the definition of pilfer is? To take something that you consider small or inconsequential. Someone say, ow. Most Christians go to work thinking, I should not outright embezzle thousands of dollars, but so often can be guilty of thinking, it's just a little thing, and they don't pay me well enough. I'm not even close to being equal. Folks, and then you say, everybody does it. Everybody. Obey in all things. Don't talk back. Don't pilfer. And in the New King James, it says about fidelity, if you don't know what that means, other translations say being trustworthy. Trustworthy and faithful in all things now here's our problem we think but they don't deserve it they lie to me all the time they're not trustworthy and faithful towards me that 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 well here's the deal it's not based on anything about your employer or your supervisor or that circumstance or that company he's going to tell us why because paul knows that as human beings we want to know why Why should I obey in all things? Why should I not talk back? Why should I not pilfer? Why should I be faithful? Verse 10 is actually more of a what than a why. Because he tells us what is at stake in the way you do your job. He tells us, look at me, what is on the line in the workplace by the way you do your job. And it's more than just your reputation. Well, I want to have a good name. I hope you do. Here's what I want you to see from verse 10. Someone else's name is also at stake and on the line in the workplace by the way you do what you do. Second half of verse 10. So that, so that they, and the they refers to the servants, the workers, so that they may adorn The doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now, it's not saying so that they can write new doctrine that added them. No, no, no. The doctrine is the doctrine. So that they may adorn the doctrine of our great God in all things. The NIV says so that in every way they will make the teaching of God, our Savior, Attractive. Do you see what's at stake in the way you do your work? Paul is saying you should do your work in a way that causes your employer and other coworkers to say. If that's how Christians do their work. Because I know how much I hate it here. I see how the supervisor treats them. I see how we all just got the shaft on retirement or whatever. And yet she's not acting like the rest of us. I think Christianity is worth checking out. What is this? How can she do this? See, when you complain and you backbite and you slander and you carry on just like everybody else, you do not embellish or adorn or make attractive the doctrine of God. You don't have to like it, my friend. But as a Christian, here's what unbelievers do. They judge. They judge the gospel by those who say they believe it. They expect more from you. We can go on and on about the power of the gospel. And Christ died for us. It rose again. Holy Spirit lives in us. Direct access to the throne. Power. Help. We're not alone. And then you act just like everybody else. And the unbelievers say, I don't know about this powerful gospel because it doesn't even help you on this job. That they may adorn the doctrine of our great God. And I'm not just pushing this myself. Think about this. Most of the people you work with. Am I, I'm so grateful that we have a, a church family. That you're, you're really good about inviting people. Thank you. Don't stop. But I hope you know this. It's really not all about trying to get all of your co-workers. To walk through this door on a Saturday. Here or over at Fort Thomas. So they can hear a pastor or a preacher teach God's word. I hope you'll keep asking But most of the people you work with will never darken the door of a church and I will never have the privilege to put on display the glory and goodness of our God but there you are working with them and you, by the way you do what, don't hear me saying with a bait and switch, you stop doing what you're supposed to do, you're not making phone calls, you're not and you get a little soapbox and you start preaching a sermon. This passage is actually teaching by the way you actually do your work. You can adorn the doctrine of our great. That word adorn in the Greek is the word "cosmeto." You tell me what English word do you think we get from that? Louder. Cosmetics. Believers are Mary Kay specialists for the glory of God. Getting out there and putting some color and ornamentation on the doctrine of God. That's our privilege. It's like in a world, you think about this. In a world, we saw last week in Romans 1, what do they do with the truth about God? Suppress it, suppress it, suppress it. One of the best ways to suppress it is never read my Bible, never go to church. But uh oh. I've got Christians who work with me and the way they work keeps reminding me of God, that there is a God, that there is a God. I can't get away from it. The word "cosmeto" means to add ornamentation or color to something. We live in a world where God and the things of God are grainy black and white at best because people work so hard to push God away and not think about him. And there you are, Work in wherever you work. And one of your assignments and privileges is to add color and ornamentation to the doctrine of our great God. Wow. I hope that excites you like it excites me. It's like, never mind what you actually do. Don't be guilty of sin, but all I do is... It doesn't matter actually what you do. God has you there on assignment, on purpose, to do it in a way that you get to add color and the Greek word cosmeo is also used and it's been used in reference to putting jewelry on display in the most attractive way. Now track with me. You don't need to try to make God precious or Jesus a treasure. He is. The treasure of Jesus Christ is what he is. You just get to put it on display in the most attractive way, by the way you do your work. We don't need you all to quit your jobs and become missionaries and church workers and pastors and no. One of the ways that God intended to make contact with thousands of unbelievers is because Christians would be working right in these places. That's why I harp on it all the time. I don't want any of you to buy a piece of land and build houses together. I don't want any of you to say, oh, let's see if we can all work together in one big Christian fish logo, happy company, which it won't go that way. Let me help you. That's called heaven. Heaven. Right now, we're supposed to be out there as salt and light. And now I hope you're excited of thinking, I get to be out there to adorn the doctrine, to cosmeto the doctrine. We got people who try not to think about God. And I have the privilege of adding color and ornamentation to the doctrine of our great God. Say, wow. Say, thank you, Jesus. That's wor- Is that worth living for? Does that... Cause you to step it up and think, oh, I could get a little more excited about waking up and going to work thinking, I'm on assignment. I'm on assignment. I get to put color, color, and ornamentation to the doctrine of our great God. Maybe you're thinking right now, all right, whew. I'm going to need some help. I haven't been thinking this way. That sounds like a big task. I don't have everything I need. Good news. That's what my third point's all about. And that's what this passage is all about. Number three, knowing Jesus means you've been given a new power. So if right now you're like, oh, my goodness, new master, new assignment, cosmeo, color, doctrine, I can't do this. I can barely do my job. Perfect. I know you can't do it. I can't do it. He never thought we could do it. And that's what verse 11 is all about. Now look at me before we read it. I don't want you to disconnect verse 11 from verses 9 and 10 and act like he just started a new subject. That's what we're so guilty of in our reading our Bibles. He's not starting a new subject. Here's how we know. Verse 11 begins with what word? Four. He wants to connect what he's about to tell you in verse 11 with verse nine and 10 that says, don't pilfer, obey in all things, don't talk back, be faithful and trustworthy so that you can adorn the doctrine of our God. And he knew you'd be saying, whoo, I don't know if I can do that. Great. For the grace of God has appeared to all men. He wants you to connect God's grace to your calling in the workplace to put on display the doctrine of our great God. And it's better than just God's attribute of grace. He's not just talking about God's attribute of grace, as glorious as it is. He's talking about Jesus, the King of grace, who took on flesh and stepped into our world. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, full of grace and... Oh, my goodness... Is the marketplace and the workplace filled with deception and lies and confusion? And yeah, is it a gracious place? Do you feel like I am so edified by the people around me? This job just builds me up. Hallelujah. I doubt it. It's not a gracious place. It's not a truthful place. But you don't have to say, oh, my goodness, how I'm going to do that. There's so much lies and darkness and confusion. And hey, it's better than just, oh, well, here's the grace of God. He's saying, you have the king of grace who goes with you. If he would step into our world to solve our biggest problem, he said he would never leave you or forsake you. Some of you need to get it back in your head. Jesus doesn't stay home or stay in the car when you go to work. As you put it in park and you start walking towards that building, that place that you think is so hard, so dark, Jesus doesn't say, I'm staying here. It's too foul there. They use the F word, can't go in. Ooh, no, 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 no. I'll be here when you come back out. It's not like Jesus meets you in your living room, in your chair for a quiet time, but can't go in there. Jesus is not shocked by it. Jesus knows how bad it is. That's why he came the first time, took on flesh and laid down his life for people like us and for people like those that you work around. He can handle it. And he goes, see, you say, well, you don't need there to be a lot of grace when you get there because you take the king of grace with you. With you. He lives in you. He lives in you. And he's not shocked by it. You're not alone. You're not alone. You don't go into that. So stop saying, oh, I wish I had more Christians or I wish we just... You can pray for that. Don't, don't hear me saying there's never a place for that. But don't act like you don't have what you need. He said he's given us all things pertaining to life and Godliness. More than a Christian co-worker, get excited again. Jesus goes with you. Full of grace and truth and compassion. You see, I just, oh, they're so hard to love. Good news. Jesus who lives in you loves them and he can love you, love them through you. Oh, it's so hard to be compassionate. It's so hard to, uh-huh. I know. Jesus lives in you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Paul wants us to connect this new assignment with a new power. The grace of God that's embodied by the Son of God who lives in you. If you know Jesus, resurrected Jesus Christ with all power and love and truth and grace lives in you. And goes with you. But let me show you one more final implication of knowing Jesus in the workplace that also is part of, but how can I do this? I'm going to need some help. So you got a new master, you got a new assignment, and he says, you've got a new power, but there's something else critical that makes such a difference. Knowing Jesus means you live with a new hope that's fixed outside of this world. See, too often the reason we find it so hard to do what God's called us to do in the workplace is we're wanting to find hope there. We're wanting to find a reason to do what he's called us to do there. You're not going to find it there. You better have it fixed outside of there somewhere else. Look at the hope that we have in verse 13. Because see, without hope, we lose heart. And it's very hard to keep doing what God's, you've got to have hope. You've got to have hope. You've got to have hope. And if your hope is constantly fixed. oh I think things are getting better. I think they're reviewing policies. Oh I think I'm going to get a new supervisor. Don't hear me saying none of that should excite you. But none of that should come even close. To I have the hope of Jesus Christ. Who lives in me. My greatest hope is outside of this job. And that enables me to live inside of this job. Radically different. Looking. Verse 13. For the blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see what just happened in this passage about work? Jesus Christ is all in this passage about work. His first coming for the grace of God has appeared to all men, and now his second coming in verse 13 are all over this passage about work. Because you need Jesus. This is a game changer when you understand what He's done for you and what He's coming to do. That this is temporary. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a foreigner. I'm an exile. But I've got Jesus who solved my biggest problem. I've got Jesus who's coming back for me, who's preparing a place for me. And I've got Jesus who lives in me now. I'm not an orphan, I'm an adopted son and daughter. I'm not alone. And here's what I want you to notice about verse 13. Look at the first word, if you've got the New King James. Look at the verb tense of this. It doesn't say look. It doesn't say I looked. Looking. Looking. It's not one and done. It's not an occasional glance. It is ongoing. Here's how I would say to you. Verse 13 is telling us not about an occasional glance. But this looking is a settled posture that, is the res- that you have, that is the result of a perspective that you maintain by reading your Bible so continually. Oh, you don't get this anywhere but the Bible. The news won't give you this. Blogs won't give you this. TV shows won't give you this. Binging on Netflix series will not give you this. All that can be amusing and can be A distraction. Don't hear me saying it's all sin. But if your goal is just to distract yourself. So continually from so hard it is. That you'll do better. It's not going to work. Here's how you do better. When I'm constantly reminded. This is not it. And there's someone on the throne. And he owns and reigns over it all. And I'm on assignment for his glory. And he's with me. And he's coming back for me. I can have hope. And I get that from the Bible. And it doesn't just work for pastors. Here's the good news. Aren't you? Some of you act like we're still hundreds of years ago when the church was saying, you can't read the Bible. Don't even think about it. The Bible was chained to the pulpit. And people were told, you can't read it. I got people right here that act like that's what we're still saying. You can read it. In fact, you must. In fact, Sunday is not enough. In fact, here's God's Word and the Holy Spirit lives in you, believer, to give you understanding and to apply it to your life. And some of you live like it's still chained to the pulpit with me saying, only I can read it and I'll tell you what it says. And you wonder why you're doing so poorly. You've got to have God's Word to have this looking for the blessed hope. You've got to be knowing Him. See, some of you You're not looking and you're not longing for Him because you don't love Him and you don't love Him because you don't know Him. And I'm telling you that because I love you. When you start to love Him... And know him. You start looking for him. And you start longing for him. And don't make, the mis- make a mistake here. It doesn't cause you to disengage from this world. It doesn't cause you to let up on your job. Verse 13 was never intended to produce Christians who say, Oh, we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of a great God and Savior Jesus Christ. It could happen any day. So this job doesn't matter. I mean, you can see these people in the news, right? There are people who have made that mistake. They're in the news. They quit their job. They sold their house. They moved to a mountaintop wearing nothing but a bed sheet. (laughs) It happens all the time, right? Where someone writes another book that picks the exact date that Jesus is coming. And all it does is cause people to say, oh, my goodness, let's get out of here. Let's get rid of everything. You say, who does that? People you know. There was a man in the other church where I was that did it. He had a good job. He had a nice house and read one of those books, sold it all, mountaintop, Bedsheet, and then had to look for another job where they wanted him to wear something besides a bed sheet. He had to get clothes, he had to start all over. Quite embarrassing. And he was not some kook, he was not stupid. Oh my word, this verse should make you one of the most engaged workers who keeps going when no one else wants to, because our motivation is different. I have a hope that's fixed outside of this world that causes me to live inside of this world radically different, including my job. Over 300 times in the New Testament, the second coming of Christ is mentioned. And I want you to understand, if you look at them, whether it's John or Peter or Jesus going there, it was always... It was always introduced as a motivation for Christians to keep going and to persevere for the glory of God now. It was never introduced as, hey, I know it's hard, so just check out. He's coming soon. You don't even have to have a job. No, The second coming of Christ was always introduced to Christians who were in trials and suffering and finding it hard here so that they could persevere. You should be the one who just won't quit when everyone else is ready to because you serve a new master. You have a new assignment. You have a power they don't have. And you have a hope fixed outside of this world. That's how you work radically different. That's why we can do the things he's calling on us to do for his glory. Maybe an urban legend, but I read where St. Francis of Assisi was out hoeing a row of beans in his garden. And somebody came by and said, hey, if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming back today, what would you do? And he paused. And then he said, I suppose I would finish hoeing this row of beans. Now, if that confuses you and you don't understand why he answered the way he did, let me help you. There is value in being faithful to keep doing little things to the glory of God. This world matters. Little things matter matter. Everything doesn't have to be big and everything doesn't have to look super spiritual. You, you, whatever you're doing, can adorn the doctrine of our great God by doing well whatever you do. Including rowing, a, hoeing, rowing a hoe, R- hoeing a row. <laughs> Strike that. Hoeing a row of beans. As we close, I want you to look at verse 14 again because we already talked about, okay, why? To what end? What purpose? Why should I obey in all things? Why should I not talk back? Why should I not pilfer when everyone else does it? Why should I be trustworthy and faithful when they break their word towards me all the time? And we said, it's because you are on assignment that they may adorn the doctrine of our great God in all things. But I'm gonna show you the how. What's, what's the basis on which I can do this? Oh, listen to me. It's in verse 14, the very basis on which we can do this. You can work differently than the rest of the world. And it has nothing to do with how well you're being compensated, how much you're being appreciated, or how well your gifts and talents all align with that job. The biggest factor as to how you and I can work radically different than the rest of the world, this should encourage you, has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus Christ and what he's already done for us on the cross. See, if you're here and you're a Christian, I want you to connect. Here's the problem that Christians so often have. We don't connect Christ's work on the cross with real everyday life. The gospel was meant to impact everything. Don't put it in a separate category. And that's just how I, not, I know I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And that's good for Sunday. And maybe another night of the week in small group. But now I go to work. What does that have to do with my work? There's the problem. I want you to connect the work that Christ has already done for you on the cross to your job. I want you to think about how the death of Christ applies To your job. Not only that job and what you do. But how you think about the other people around you. At that job while you do it. Because if you're struggling. Saying Brad. Okay what in the world does the death of Christ have to do with my job. Let me help you. Let me show you how you think. Gospel towards your work. Here's one example. Maybe tomorrow you're going to get up. And you're going to go to work for somebody. Don't repeat it from outside of here. If you were to be honest, you're going to go to work for somebody you despise. You don't respect them at all. In fact, you would consider them a fool. How am I supposed to work for a fool, Brad? How am I supposed to serve a fool? How am I supposed to get excited? Well, let me help you by thinking about what Christ did for you. Because the Bible says that he died for us while we were still his enemies. Not just fools. Worse than that enemies while we were still his enemies and yet he died for us he died for us if he could serve us as his enemies you can serve a fool in that workplace because here's why he goes with you so he knows how to do this you say i can't right you can't john 15 says apart from him we can do how much jesus already served enemies us And he goes with you. He knows what this feels like. He can help you. He's already done this on a far grander scale than what you're trying to do. And he lives in you. As he did that for you, he will help you do it for them. That supervisor. Who you'd say, I don't respect them. I despise them. They're a fool. I can't do these things. Jesus didn't die for us while we were so lovely and lovable and responding to him and treating him well, and esteeming him, and honoring him. No, none of that. And he gave his life, and served us, and did work on the cross for us that actually solved our biggest problem. In other words, you can say to yourself tomorrow morning, my Lord and Savior served a fool, me. He will help me serve my employer, In this place, he will help me for his glory to adorn the doctrine of our great God. But maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you're sitting there saying, okay, that's not my problem, Brad. Maybe your problem's not despising your boss or your job or your coworkers. Uh Uh-uh. Instead, your problem is feeling inadequate and desperately, desperately needing to win the approval of your coworkers or your employer or your supervisor so that you can gain a sense of acceptance and achievement through what you do. And we took a whole message last week to dig into that. That is a recipe for misery. And the answer is still the gospel. Think about it. The answer is still the gospel. How would you use the gospel, Brad, and that Christ died for me? Here's how. You look at what Christ did for you on the cross and you remember that he loves you and accepts you apart from any achievements, apart from any accolades so that you can rest in him and start doing some of your best work because your sense of self-worth and acceptance and identity is no longer all tied up in and tangled together with Your job That's what makes it such a mess out there in the marketplace so often. That's what makes it so hurtful when things aren't done or are done. You are overly sensitive because it's more than just a job. It's your identity. And unbelievers don't know how to do anything differently. They're looking for a way to to have a sense of, am I good? Do I matter? Do I count? Does my life... We are the ones that by God's grace... Should be able to untangle and remove our worth and identity and acceptance from the job. Because that rests in Jesus Christ. I've been accepted in the beloved. I have a robe of righteousness. I'm an adopted son or daughter. Zephaniah 3.17. He sings Over me. I don't need to win his love. Keep his love. Earn his love. Favor him. It's all given to me freely. In Jesus Christ. So I can rest. And then go on just doing my job. Not trying to prove my self worth. The gospel changes everything. About how you do your work. As well as how you think about. The others around you. It changes how you should think about those who are under you. Over you and around you, because it changes you. Some of you keep thinking, I need a different job. I need different people to be there when I get there. I need a different super, the gospel can enable you to take a new you into the same workplace. Don't hear me saying it's not wrong to keep crying out to God and say, God, if it would please you, would you open a door for something different? But in the meantime, new you is going into the same workplace on assignment, saying, In the meantime, I'm going to adorn the doctrine of our great God because I'm on assignment, on purpose, right here. God's sovereign. It's not a mistake that you're there right now. He's sovereign. Oh, before you too quickly jump to changing where you work, cry out to God and say, Help me to have a new attitude about that job, And to do it and to get that new attitude based on the work that Christ already has done for you. And so as we close our service, we're going to celebrate. We're going to connect the work that Christ has already done for us to our jobs. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper table. This is not new. We've done this many times. But I suspect... Most of you perhaps have never connected this great, glorious, life-changing truth to your job. And I want you to today. So that when you lift the cup and you take the bread, you can say, he said, as often as you do this, remem- do it in remembrance, you can say, if he did that for me, I can live for him in the workplace. He's given me grace. He's given me hope. He's given me a new assignment. And he goes with me.